So today we're able to think about and learn about one of the most important figures in all of human history. One of the most important figures in all of biblical history, and that person is Moses. Moses is vital to the whole storyline, and he might even be more vital than we might imagine. Moses is important because of the Ten Commandments, yes. Moses is important because he is a great leader, yes. But Moses is important even beyond that because Moses is the mediator. Moses is the exemplary mediator. He is the key mediator in all of biblical history except for the one he anticipates. The Bible teaches in the New Testament that there is one mediator between God and man. You know the verse, the man Christ Jesus. But Moses as mediator is designed to help us understand the ultimate mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the one who, who mediates between God, the one true and living God, and sinful human beings to represent them? Well, in the Old Covenant world, in the Old Testament world, our, our mind should go, even though my mind doesn't always because I'm not well-trained. I didn't grow up in a, in a Bible-believing home and I didn't grow up studying the Old Testament. But it should go to Moses. Moses is the man. <laughs> Moses is the mediator. Moses is the one that God uses to bring redemption, to free the people from enslavement in Egypt after 400 years and to deliver them, to to redeem them, to buy them out of the slave market, if you will, and lead them to Zion, to lead them through the wilderness and to lead them to Jerusalem. And then we know, because Deuteronomy 18 says so, but then Peter in Acts chapter 3, when he's talking about Jesus, he quotes Deuteronomy 18, and Peter says this, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. See, the dots get connected. Even Moses himself spoke of a greater Moses. Even Moses, the great mediator, spoke of a greater mediator yet to come. And so one great thing about what we're doing is, if we study the book of Exodus... It's interesting history. It's important history. It's true history. We're going to learn about God, maybe frighteningly so. Uh, we're going to learn about human beings, frighteningly so. We're going to learn about a really good mediator. But see, it's setting the table. It's setting the storyline for us to say, God, before that ever even happened, had a perfect plan of redemption that centered around the ultimate mediator, his son. And Moses is to be that shadow. And Zion is to be the shadowy Zion that they're headed toward. And it's not bought out of the slave market of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's bought out of the slave market of sin. And so if you want to learn the Bible, you want to learn the big picture storyline, one thing you need to do is study Exodus. And so that's what we're doing. We're doing a four-week series on Exodus. One of my friends, his name is John, he... He was here from California and he said, just so you know, I did a four week series and did the whole book of Exodus. 
So I want to be him when I grow up. So I, I thought we were going to do that, but I think we're, I think we're on week 16. But I mean, there's what, 40 chapters? That's pretty good. It's, it's hard with you guys. I'm going to blame you guys. <laughs> just, just like we're going to see blame shifting in our passage and, and Aaron blames the people. Uh, and so I'm going to blame you guys. You guys like to see every word and every verse. And so it's really hard for me to do, to do four weeks. Um, unlike those ungodly Californian Christians, uh, you guys just won't let me do it. So we're doing 16 uh, today, chapter 32, golden calf incident, 33. We won't get to 34, but really they go together. So we're going to put our heads down and do the work and see some amazing things. There is no outline. It would only get in the way. Um, but to see what's going on here, to learn about God, to learn about human beings, but to learn about Moses, because Moses is the man, lowercase m. So that we would better understand the man, Christ Jesus, ultimate mediator. You're going to see the parallels. They're unmistakable unless you're spiritually blind, uh, according to the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, let's jump in. Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, going up there to uniquely meet with God, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! I don't know why the ESV left it so wooden. Uh, Get up! Arise! It's a command. Get up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has come of him. And I wrote in my margin, what? Like, it's meant to be this shocking, what in the what? What? So Moses is gone for a short amount of time, and this is what's happening here? We, come on guys, we could do better, right? I mean, let's think about it. Moses is the, the mediator that God uses, right? He, 400 years of enslavement and God uniquely uses Moses and they're delivered and you've got the parting of the sea and the crashing down of the sea and the wiping out of the enemies. And, and, and he's going to make true on his promise that was made to the forefathers, made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're going to go to Mount Zion and, and he's gone for a minute. And now we're going to do this? This, this, is, this is crazy. So will Aaron comply? Verse 2. So Aaron said to them, also with his own imperative, they command Aaron, Aaron commands them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out, up out of the land of Egypt. And you just go, what in the what? Again, you go, this is crazy. This is crazy. And, and the, the, the calf thing, it could be a bull. It doesn't have to be a baby baby. It doesn't have to be a, a female. Here, here's the, this, this cow and it's, it was common for the Egyptians to, to, to do one commentary said bovine worship. I thought that sounded like a good sermon title. I don't think I've ever said the word bovine in my life. Cattle worship. Um, but also with the Canaanites and some of the other rites. I mean, it's a pretty common kind of thing to, to, to use them as, as worship helps, if you will, if not icons for the, for the gods. And so this is not a brand new out of nowhere kind of thing. This is a common kind of thing. And now the one, uh, the, the people who are supposed to belong to the one true and living God who are to have no idols and have no other gods, 
no engraved, carved images. They're going to be like the nations. They're going to be like the others and say, you know what? We, we still talk about God, but we're going to just add to is what's happening here. This is, this is crazy kind of stuff. Behold your gods. So syncretism, right? Partnership with Yahweh, we also have others. Behold your deliverers. Behold your redeemers. That's, that's the context. That's what's just happened. This is crazy stuff. And we've talked about the insanity of idol worship before, but I mean, they, they just had him make this. They could have witnessed him making this. They asked him to make it. What? It's insane. It's not reasonable. It's not rational. It's insane, but it's real. And the human heart does it again and again and again. Verse 5 says, When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Why do I have to keep saying, What in the what? What in the world? And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh, the Lord. That's the word he uses. And so again, they're, 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 they're not abandoning God. Yes, they are. But they don't think they are. They, they think, you know, what's better than one God? Two gods. Maybe more. So somehow we're going to supplement this whole thing and do make-believe religion, which is absolutely insane and crazy and contrary to the very thing that they were supposed to be doing. This is contrary to facts, contrary to the recent history. Wow. It's too early for application, but because I probably won't get it in later. Just just to maybe think about the here and now and what we're supposed to do in worship and what we're not supposed to do in worship. I'll read from our confession. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imagination and devices of men nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in Holy Scripture. It's pretty wise, pretty helpful. Verse 6 says, let's keep going in our text, and they rose up early the next day. I only get up early if I have to or if I'm excited, Right? We're going we're gonna to go on a trip. We're going to take a vacation, right? We're going to do something special. We've got a special day planned, a special event, a special game we're going to go watch. And that, they're excited and they rose up early the next day. We've got new improved worship experiences and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. So again, they are not totally jettisoning, not totally abandoning what they're supposed to do. They're just mixing it. It's, it's, again, I have that police song stuck in my head, synchronicity, for those of you who are old enough to know what that is. And now I can't get it out of my head. Usually it's, it's Bob Marley, the Exodus song stuck in my head. And now I've got the police stuck in my head. And now you're all thinking, what is going on in that guy's head? <laughs> Syncretism isn't good when it comes to religion. It's insane. If there's only one true and living God, to say and pretend like there are more is insanity. And that's what we see happening here. 
Verse 6 goes on to say, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Sounds innocent enough. Sometimes that verbiage, the word play is used in an innocent way where it's harmless and people are just happy. It's used in in association with laughter. Uh, It's used in association with dancing sometimes, but it is also used in association at times for sex. And based upon the fury and the anger that happens, it may very well be that's involved too because that actually is a common practice in the ancient world in this region when it comes to religion. I wouldn't die for that view, but may very well be. So gross, ugly, idolatrous, awful. Scene change. Scene change comes in verse 7. Now back up on the top of the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for, notice how, how different this sounds. For your people... Like 20 times in Exodus, it's my people, my people, my people, my people, my people, right? I redeem them, they're my people. Here's the, 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 the disgust of the Lord, if you will. Your people, your people whom you brought up, <laughs> Exodus 3, 8, I have brought them out of Egypt, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've perverted themselves. They've dirtied themselves spiritually. Verse 8 then says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. I mean, if we go back to when chapter 3, tell, tell us tell us your name. And there was the amazing, profound statement where God doesn't give his name because that would be associated with creatures or creation. Instead, he just says, I am. I'm the self-existent, eternal, unique, outside of this creation, one. I am the great I am. And not only that, he, he explains who he is as far as when, uh, when we work our way through the text. He does all of the things that he's done for them. He gives them his law and they say again and again, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. I think four times, we'll do it. And what's happening is, ancient world, this is all covenant kind of stuff. So you've got the great king, the ultimate king, and then you would have lesser kings and they would be conquered and then they would take care of them. They would provide for them. So if you want to use the fancy words, you have the suzerain king and you have the vassal king, the greater king and the lesser king. And the greater king would make covenants with the lesser peoples, communities, cities, if you will, and say, all right, you belong to me now. Uh, I've purchased your freedom, if you will, uh, in this context. You belong to me, and if you keep covenant, you follow the, the, the pact, if you follow the treaty, think of, think of it in those terms, if you follow the terms of the agreement, the terms of the treaty, then things are going to be wonderful. But if you break the covenant, if you violate the terms of the contract, if you violate the terms of the treaty, of the pact or the covenant, there are consequences. And so that's what, where the Ten Commandments come in. Things are written down. It's formal. All, all of this is happening here. And God made this covenant with the people. And he did wonderful things for them. He'll protect them. He'll provide for them. He'll conquer their enemies. And they've just thrown it in his face. At the very core. By doing what they've done. They violated the terms. And it's not good. 
It's awful. They swore. Again, I think I checked four times. We will, we will, we will, we will. We're faithful, we're faithful, we're faithful, we're faithful. And now we have this. Verse 8 goes on to say, They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is this is treaty violation at the core of it all. This, this is treasonous. This is outlandish. This is idolatrous. This is awful and horrific. And so quick. This, this, is, this is absolutely crazy. Spiritual treason. Verse 9 says, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They're like animals on the farm. Oh, wait a minute. They're like oxen on the farm. You see what's happening? They are like the object of their insane worship. You know what? That's what happens when it comes to idols. We just create things in our, according to our own liking and our own image. Now, I don't think they would have done that, but the Lord's doing that, I think. Crazy. Oh, the irony. Just as a quick aside, also by way of application, because I... I've never made an idol, I don't think. Guess that none of you have either. But the Apostle Paul does say that covetousness is idolatry. Just saying. Colossians 3, 5. Okay, we better keep moving. Verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone. How about this? God saying this. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath, my anger may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So I need to, I'm going to destroy them. Leave me alone, Mr. Mediator. Because this is going to need to happen if I'm going to actually keep my word to the forefathers, if I'm going to keep the Abrahamic covenant, if you will, from Genesis. And then look at verse 11. But Moses, right, the mediator, implored the Lord his God. Think Christ figure. Think covenant mediator. We've got, we've got to resolve the tension between these two parties. Or it's going to be horrific. Think advocate. Again, in a, in a covenantal legal context, we would have an advocate at times. All of these kinds of things that will be used for the greater Moses, the ultimate Moses. Between a wrathful God and sinful people. And said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, whom you have redeemed with great power and with a mighty hand? How about verse 12? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger. That's what a mediator would say. And relent from this disaster against your people. So before we keep going, 
Notice he's appealing to God in the name of God's reputation. What will the Egyptians think? God, I'm appealing to you not not to say, you know what, it's not that big a deal. I mean, eh, what's better than one God, maybe two gods, right? Cut them some slack. It's kind of interesting, no, the, the, the mediator appeals to God based upon his fame, based upon his glory, based upon his greatness. I think that's insightful. Now we'd better keep going. Verse 13 says, Remember Abraham. Oh, now he's, he, he appeals to him uh, first on the basis of his reputation. Now he's going to appeal to him based upon something else. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore. So remember another covenant. Remember the Abrahamic covenant. That, interesting, he's appealing to God based upon his reputation and based upon his covenantal commitments. Remember that one, to whom you swore, you took an oath, you vowed covenantally by your own self. Think Genesis 12, 15, following, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Maybe a little more application, and none of us are Moses, and none of us are the ultimate Moses mediator, but don't, don't ever appeal to God based upon you and your sin, and that it's not that big of a deal. He's appealing to God based upon God's greatness and fame and glory, and he's appealing to God based upon God's own covenantal commitments that he himself swore. It's, it's the right way to do it. <laughs> It's a good way to go. Especially when you start connecting the dots, which we won't take the time to do here, to find out how that Abrahamic covenant is going to ultimately be fulfilled. Verse 14 says, And the Lord relented. He changed his mind. And from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Verse 15 says, Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony. So he's got the, he's, he's got the, the covenantal contract that had been broken in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry uh, of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. It's getting clearer as we get closer. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, and who knows what else that was going along with that, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Which is more, it's more symbolic than we probably even realize. Yes, he's angry, it says that, but throwing them down Probably on purpose, symbolizing, yeah, the covenant's been broken. And here's an illustration. One, two, thank you very much. Dun, 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 dun. This is bad. This is awful. 20 says, he took the calf that they had made and burned it. 
with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Tell me when you figure out what that means. Because I've read enough books for the week. (laughs) Might be their drinking source. There's the stream. I'm going to destroy this utterly and I'm going to then throw it out into the stream and pollute your drinking water. There might be more involved, but there's not less involved. The point is, destroys it, no more, gone, and it's not good for them. How about verse 21? And Moses said to Aaron, some older brother you are. (laughs) He doesn't say that, but he is the older brother, not the wiser brother. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. I just gave them what they wanted. When religious leaders do that, it's usually bad. Verse 23, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Poof. He's the, he's like the, the younger brother who's like two. (laughs) Amazing. Self-generated. It's funny if it wasn't, you know, so sickening. Now, consider with me, though, the fact that this is Aaron, who will be the high priest, the Aaronic priesthood, I mean, namesake, that God is going to use this clown. God is going to use this clown. I mean, there's a lot of harshness and a lot of crazy things going on, but we, we, we do have opportunity to see God's mercy and God's patience and God using sinners who deserve condemnation. The high priest? I think he's disqualified. Everybody's disqualified. Ultimately, except one, he will point to and and anticipate the ultimate Aaron. Because this guy ain't him. Good to know that. Really good to know that. See, it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's all here. It's baked in the cake. I mean, you, you have to work hard to miss it. God knowing full well just what kind of guy Aaron is. High priest. Aaronic priesthood. Because that always anticipates a greater priest. Okay, let's keep moving. Verse 25. Oh, oh, one more thing. (laughs) When it comes to apologetics, defending the Christian faith, this kind of narrative that we're reading here is a good apologetic, it's a good defense for the legitimacy of the Bible and the Christian faith. Because if I were inventing a religion, praise God, I'm not, I wouldn't put this stuff in the Bible. The whole system is going to be based upon clowns like this. Poof, out came a calf. 
take this stuff out. This kind of stuff you don't leave in your history. You, I mean, you just don't do it. Unless it's true. This is not the stuff heroes are made of. Because none of these people are the hero. It's always anticipating someone greater. So I think these embarrassing things actually support the legitimacy of sacred scripture and the Christian faith because no human being in their right mind would keep this stuff in. We think too highly of ourselves. Okay, let's move on. Hope that was worth it. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies... Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. We're going to get this sorted out here. Okay? And all the sons of Levi, I might want to back up and just have you, just have that fit in your mind. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. The mediator. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and he put to them, And he said to them, excuse me, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And what do we think? We think, why did they do that? And then we should not think that. What we should then think is, why didn't they all get slaughtered? Because they all deserve to be slaughtered. They violated the covenant treaty. Grossly, high-handedly, horrifically. Wages of sin is death. All of them. Done. So we are asking the wrong question when we think, oh no, so many died. It should be, oh wow, maybe there's something more going on here because some of them lived. What's happening? Well, again and again and again, perhaps again, all this we will do. And they most certainly have not done it. I do draw your attention back to that statement in verse 26. Come to me. Moses, the mediator, says, come to me. Come to me for safety. Come to me for relief. I can't help it because I read the Bible like a Christian. Come to me, you law violators, because everybody is guilty. I can't help but think of Matthew 11 when Jesus says to law violators who are coming to realize they're law violators and they're burdened by it. And he says, come to me, right? And I'll give you rest from being law violators. Jesus is the ultimate Moses. Jesus is the ultimate mediator. I can't help but see it because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Jesus saying, all of you who violate God's commandments, worthy of condemnation, come over here and I'll, I'll give you protection, rest. Okay, let's keep going. How about verse 29? And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. 
Now he's going to talk about atonement. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, right? First John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. They've broken the law. They've broken covenant. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Perhaps I can bring satisfaction. And that brings forgiveness. Perhaps. Verse 31, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. No news to God, but it is a good confession. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Please forgive. But, 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 if, but, but if you won't, you know what? I, I, I love these people. They're my people. And so you, you have at least an illusion to take me instead. I would be willing, I would be willing to, to, to die. I mean, he's, he's going for it. Moses isn't quite fit for that position. Moses is relatively righteous, but he's not altogether righteous. But I can't help but think ahead to first Peter chapter three, substitution, just for the unjust. He loved us when we were yet sinners and gave himself up for us. Again, it's not the perfect strict parallel. You, you see something happening here of a great love that he would... He, he wasn't even down there with those people. And he's saying, I'd give my life if you'd spare him. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. That's unsettling. Judgment for sin is unsettling. Verse 34. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. There will be consequences. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. So if we end there, it's a pretty big downer. And we move on even related to this and, and, God, and God is going to be patient with them and God is going to show mercy to them and God is going to extend grace to them and he's going to further reveal himself to Moses. So it doesn't end there. But we probably should before we tackle a whole other chapter. Let me remind you that the Lord Jesus at the end of Luke's gospel account, on the road to Emmaus, trains the disciples in how to read the Bible. And he teaches them about himself from the Old Testament. So, I'm not trying to find Jesus hidden everywhere in the Old Testament and make things up. But I do want to not be scolded like the disciples were scolded by Jesus because they didn't know how to read the Bible the right way. And so we are looking. We are looking for natural, organic, real, it's meant to be there connections because of what Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, because of what Jesus said in Luke 24, because before any of this ever happened, there was already a plan and a purpose, according to Ephesians 1, that would center on the ultimate mediator who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why we say things like, he's the ultimate Moses. 
That's why we say things like he's the ultimate David as well. It's all designed to point ultimately toward him. And here we are thinking about where we are in human history. Where are we? Well, the Bible uses terms like sojourners. It actually uses wilderness talk about people like us. And we're on our way to Zion. But we're not on our way to this Zion that these guys went to. We're on our way to heavenly Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem that has to come from above, not the Middle East. Okay? And so it's meant for our encouragement. They struggled, idolatry, bad, awful. God was patient. God was kind. There were consequences. But ultimately... He's going to keep his word through the perfect ultimate mediator, the true and better Moses. Our focus has to be on him. And our confidence has to be in him and his return that we await. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time in the book of Exodus. The more we read the Bible, the more we see the connections and we're thankful for that. Uh, Help us in that endeavor to be able to see your perfect plan of redemption and how it does unfold throughout biblical history. And now we look forward to seeing when Christ returns for the consummation. And we're thankful to know that we're his and he is ours all because of confidence in him and his perfect work on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.